Hello, gorgeous friends, and welcome to the Embracing Enough podcast. You know, I've always said that women and girls have some incredible stories to tell. And that's what we do here. We share our stories in order for others to feel seen, heard, and hopefully less alone. This is your host, Dina Skippa, founder of Enough Labs, and I am so excited that you're here. And this is our fourth season. I still can't believe it. When I started out this podcast, I had no idea of the types of stories that we would tell, and even more, the impact that we would have. And here we are, continuing to have some much needed conversations around our enoughness, our confidence, and how to own our truth. This season, well, we're doing things a little differently, choosing to shine a spotlight on those who are brave enough to be called a disruptor. We're going deep with folks who have chosen to disrupt things for the better, even if it meant that they had to be the blueprint to do it. It's gonna get real over here, but the hope is that you walk away from each episode feeling more inspired to be a disruptor yourself, whatever that looks like for you all while embodying the essence of joy, courage, and permission. Listen, I've been on my own journey of embracing my own enoughness for a very long time. And this season, it just feels like perfect timing to unpack what being a disruptor looks like and how it connects to our own personal definitions of confidence. Let's get into it. All right, and we are back with another episode of Embracing Enough, the podcast brought to you by Enough Labs. It's your girl, Dina, and I am so, so thrilled to be sitting down with another dear friend, Andrea Nakayama. And it's just so crazy over the last couple of years how I have come into contact with some of the most incredible, badass women (laughs) and coming into contact with them, hearing their stories, realizing that I needed to meet them at the very moment that I did. And so I met Andrea a couple of years ago, as so many of us did in this online virtual space where we're all making friends, (laughs) in a common program that we both found ourselves in, writing our book proposals. And when I learned about Andrea, I was just so struck by her story and what she has built. So let me give you a little bit of insight of how incredible Andrea is. Andrea is a functional medicine nutritionist and educator. She's the host of the 15 Minute Matrix podcast and the founder of Functional Nutrition Alliance. Andrea is leading thousands of students and practitioners around the globe in a revolution to offer better solutions to the growing chronic illness epidemic. By highlighting the importance of systems biology, root cause methodology, and therapeutic partnerships, she helps historically underserved individuals reclaim ownership of their health. I love her mission. I love her. Welcome, Andrea, to the podcast. Thank you, Dina. Talk about badass women. I'm so excited to be here with you. So excited. Oh my gosh. Just, it's for me, still relatively new in my entrepreneurship journey. It is amazing to see other incredible women founders who 
had a mission on their heart. And I would love to kind of kick it off because I know a bit of the story, but for those listening, this is the first time they may be meeting you. Um, I'd love to hear your story about what brought you to this work and yeah, and who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, such an interesting story to tell. And I think of myself as an accidental entrepreneur. So I didn't set out with entrepreneurship in mind. I set out to right some of the wrongs that I experienced in healthcare. And that experience, as is true for many of us that work in healthcare, started with a personal journey, most particularly my husband's journey before my own. So my husband, my late husband, Isamu, was diagnosed with a very aggressive brain tumor when we were just seven weeks pregnant. That was back in April of 2000 that he was diagnosed. And the diagnosis seemingly came out of the blue. He was otherwise a healthy early 30, he was 31 at the time of his diagnosis. So um, that catapulted us into a realm of healthcare that we had not been exposed to at that point in our lives. Maybe we had gone to the doctor for a sinus infection or something, a broken arm, but nothing that was that grave that we were inserted into a system that we didn't really know existed in the way that it does. And through that journey, I learned a lot about the gaps that exist in healthcare, especially for those who have a chronic health diagnosis. So that's really the seed of my story in building what I built, becoming a functional medicine nutritionist, founding the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Of course, the seeds of who I am that did that go back further. Um, and I will say, just for those who are curious, Isamu was given about six months to live at the time of his diagnosis. He lived almost two and a half years. So he did have a good imprint, a year and a half on our son, who's now in his 20s, graduating college and you know, that was a long time ago, but really set the stage for all that I do and all that I did until now. It's amazing. And to be thrust into this work, and it almost feels like you were placed into a quest to like find answers that unfortunately within the healthcare system, it can feel not only nebulous, but also overwhelming. Like you have to yes. be your own advocate. And what I've, obviously I am by no means any kind of expert or understanding, have, have significant understanding in, in the functional nutrition space. But what I love about the work that you do and, and how I've, in the ways that I've followed you um, is, is to have this much more comprehensive understanding. And I'd love to hear you talk more about root cause methodology, because I think that's yeah. sort of like the invisible layer that I don't feel it gets talked about enough. Yes. Yes. So important. So I think the word functional, and, and this is my disruptor coming out, yes. so get ready. <laughs> Here she comes. Mm -hmm. um, I think the word functional is thrown around a lot these days, mm -hmm. and it's not really paying heed to its roots. So the roots of functional medicine were born in the 1990s, and the three primary tenets of a truly functional practice are to honor the therapeutic partnership 
partnership being a key word there, to look for the root causes, which we'll come back to. It means we're asking why, not what, and to really embrace a systems-based approach. And for me, that has become the container in which I've been able to see the cracks and the gaps in healthcare, functional, integrative, holistic, or not, and then build systems that help us to understand our health better, be better advocates for ourselves, and now train about 8,000 practitioners around the globe in these methodologies so we can create an army of people who can go out there and serve those who are sick and not getting better. So that root cause methodology means, again, that we ask, why is this happening, not just what do I do about it? And this is where I see functional medicine and functional nutrition making mistakes again. We're still asking, we're reverting really quickly back to the, what do I do about it? What's the supplement? What's the diet? Should I be keto or intermittent fasting? Or we're not asking, why is this sign, symptom, or diagnosis manifesting? And that's where we really get to the place where we turn the heat off the pot of boiling water instead of just putting a lid on top of the boiling pot of water. We're really looking to uh, decrease everything that's happening with a baseline understanding and remediation of what's going on. And in the systems that I've developed, I call it three roots, many branches. So any sign, symptom, or diagnosis you can list, whether it's rosacea or migraines or PCOS or uh, irregular cycles or infertility or anxiety or depression or an actual diagnosis like I have Hashimoto's or somebody has MS or cancer, those are branches that manifest for a reason if we visualize a tree. And if we want to get to the roots, we have to think deeper down into what is allowing that branch to manifest. And those roots for me are always our genes or our genetic predisposition, our digestion and inflammation. And then I've developed a system that allows us to see the soil that those roots exist in, which become our circle of influence. Because we can't play target practice with any of those things. We have to think, what are the things I can do that actually help me have influence over that root that's then manifesting in that branch? I don't know if anyone has ever said this to you, but the way you've just explained it, first of all, is so crystal clear and I love it. But also it feels like such a mirror for life in the way that we address sort of complex issues. I think there's this desire oftentimes to just get to the solution rather than really sitting with why is this happening? And what do I have control over to try to seek influence within? I mean, beyond nutrition, I mean, I feel like this this model could be applied to every single one of my coaching clients. Exactly, that's exactly true. And it is, even letting go of the idea of control because we don't have control and it's looking at influence versus control and understanding ourselves to know what can I influence in this moment because we may not have the capacity to influence we certainly don't have the capacity to control Mm -hmm. I can tell you that no matter how many times I have to learn that lesson I I'm like I have to learn that again 
are you serious? You're not I have alone. To learn that. I have no control again. So, you know, I really love the concept of influence because it allows us to see where we have opportunity to make a shift for ourselves and take more ownership there. And yes, this my thinking is based on mental models. It's first principle thinking. It's really back to the way people throughout history have solved the most complex problems, take a pause in the questioning before moving to the solution, but we're a culture who's, that is very fixated on the quick fix and the solution without stopping to look at the why. Why do you think that is? Why are we so fixated on the quick fix? I, of course, have my thoughts, but I'd, be, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons uh, societally, culturally, that we move with that speed and we think that uh, that's what's going to happen. But I think there's a lot of noise, whether it's pharmaceutical noise or influencer noise. I have such a hard time on social media right now because I just, given who I am and the cracks that I see in things, it's just a lot of BS. And there's a lot of promises that leave people thinking that they can get a quick fix for whatever they're experiencing. And then when they don't, they turn that against themselves as if something is wrong with them. And then we have more to unpack in the reality of, uh, you know, even if we see, look, see and look at, and I know you've talked to people about uh, body positivity and anti-diet culture, there's a good reason for what I'd like to think of as anti-dieting culture, but that puts a bad twist on nutrition. And there's a real reason that we need good nutrition in order to, and I put good in air quotes because that's different for everybody, but we're confusing our conversations and we're either all or nothing. So there's so much noise and I'd love to hear what you think is moving us into the quick fix as well but I think the noise that we're getting on from commercials to social media is just so um, I'm gonna say negatively disruptive of a tuned in journey of health and healing yeah I love the way you put that because it really ties to this season's theme about disruption. And I see you as being an absolute disruptor in this space. But to go back to the question about why I feel like we're always looking for a quick fix, I think for me personally, if we're sort of zooming out, um, not just speaking about nutrition, but I think it's as a, as a culture, I think we're uncomfortable with the, with the uncertainty, for with sure. the not knowing and being in the space of not knowing I think is another space that we turn ourselves against ourselves. Like we make, we make an assumption about, oh, if I can't figure this out, then that must mean I'm blank. Yes. If I can't find the solution, hack this problem, I'm something negative. And it's almost like the subconscious chase to support, like finding evidence for what we already think about ourselves. Totally true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the noise, I mean, everyone, on social media is hacking some kind of is is you know promoting some kind of solution some easy quick fix and i personally can't stand it <laughs> cuz i think yeah. i mean and it what it when you were talking about your reflections about this 
when I think about root cause methodology and the way you explained the model, it's it really speak. It sounds like to me that there's this journey of getting back to your own knowing. Absolutely. Your body has so much knowledge, right? So I'm not, this has never been a show that's promoting one, you know, viewpoint. It's, it's about sharing our stories. And I yes. think understanding the wisdom of your body and tuning into what you know to be true is one of the most powerful things anyone could tap into. Yeah, I'll share a story. I mean, there's two stories that come to mind. One is the teaching that I was doing yesterday with my graduate practitioners around empathy and how empathy really means sitting with the individual. We have to really recognize that we are in the dark. We don't know anything about the person coming to see us because we know what conditions they have. We cannot pretend and how uncomfortable that is for practitioners. So just recognizing for any practitioner that they see you as your signs, your symptoms, or your diagnosis, and they don't have the ability often to see you as the person who has those things. In addition, something that happened this week that was really profound for me that speaks to what you're talking about, Dina. Um, I'm working with a case study group for the book that I'm writing, and one of our oldest members struggles with sleep apnea. She's in her 70s, and she's struggled with sleep for a long time, and it really frustrates her because we know how important sleep is for our health and recovery and restoration. And I was meeting with her individually this week, and I asked her if she remembered how the first time that she remembers uh, struggling with sleep, because she said it always, I've always struggled with sleep. And I said, tell me that story, write it for me in your journal. They have online journals that they keep for me. And she wrote a story about being six or seven and her bedroom and her fear of the placement of the window in her room. So she would wake up every night crying because she was scared and her parents would come in and comfort her and yet she never felt comfortable. Even though they comforted her, they'd go back to bed, she'd still lay awake in fear. No obvious reason other than she developed some fear of how the window looked out on the neighbor's yard, that it was exposed and she felt vulnerable. So we can recognize that sleep apnea is a medical condition that needs to be addressed where the airways are getting blocked. But if we look back at her story, something that nobody's ever asked her, we can see that there are some psychological or emotional roots that could have led to her physiologically developing a pattern of behavior that didn't let her or allow her to get into a fully restful state because that fully restful state meant she was vulnerable in her mind. And so helping us to see those connections, and I'm all about the physiology, not the psychology. Like for me, it's about the body systems, but being able to make those associations and see our stories allows us to have more what I call self-empathy, it might be called self-compassion for the issues that we're facing that we often blame ourselves for. We hold against ourselves. We get angry with ourselves like you were talking about. This doesn't work for me. Something might be wrong with me as opposed to 
oh, wait a minute, that makes sense. And look where that's manifesting elsewhere in my life. I now hold that with more compassion, which has the potential to shift all of our chosen influencers, our healing modalities that we choose. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because the, at the time that we're recording this, this very morning, I was reflecting on my own self-talk and how it's so interesting how we can turn certain things that we feel like we can't do onto ourselves rather than exercising that compassion. It actually came up this morning when I was um, working out with my personal trainer and I was upset because I didn't feel like I came to the session and could really bring 100% of myself. And so I was getting frustrated that my body wasn't able to do certain moves. I mean, and I also forgot that I hadn't eaten anything that mor this morning before the session. And I also fell asleep super early last night because I've been exhausted from like pushing myself so much. So it's like that, that, that space to really exercise that self-compassion, we forget it so quickly. Like, of course yeah. I would struggle during today's training session. I didn't come with the best of circumstances to exactly. show up. But, but you can go so quickly to that beat up of like, oh, why can't I do this? Why can't my body just do this? I'm never going to be good at this. And you get to reframe that. Exactly. Yeah. I think of it as sort of an infinity loop. There's the situation that we're responding to, and then there, there's our response to the situation. And both impact our physiological function. Right. Both impact our bodies and our brains, which are connected. So it's constant that we're in this relationship with the external world, how that impacts us and how we respond bond right. to that impact right. and both are very individualized which is why I don't believe that protocols work mm -hmm. or they work a portion of the time and not for a large portion of the population mm -hmm. primarily women who are sick and not getting better right well it's I'm curious I don't know if I actually know the answer to this which is why I'm gonna ask you you know, I have been purposeful in curating the guests for this season. And you, like I said, I see as being a disruptor in the nutrition space. Um, tell me, did you work in the nutrition space or in the healthcare system prior to getting, okay, working with your husband? Um, oh my gosh. So what made you feel like you had what it took to be the blueprint? for what was needed yeah. because I feel like I, I, we're similar in that way. We know that something needed to be done and we're like, okay, I guess it's going to be me. Yes. And <sighs> I, I think it took a little while yeah. for me to mm -hmm. get there. I mean, certainly I worked in book publishing okay. for 15 years and had a very well established career mm -hmm. in book publishing. And when uh, Isamu got sick and diagnosed, I did turn my attention to nutrition because I was looking at all the influencers. Yes, we were doing chemo and radiation and he had two surgeries and we had to do all the things, but what else was there that could influence the outcomes and where was I seeing gaps in the system of how he was being treated and that all kind of just sat with me until after he 
died. And uh, several years later, I had a friend who was a naturopathic physician who was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I found myself doing my thing again, like doing the research and looking and seeing like, what are we missing? And how can this be affected otherwise? And it took me a moment of actually reaching out to another nutritionist who was like, why don't you do this? And that was a light bulb for me of taking a huge leap because at this point I'm a single parent with a well-established career saying, I'm going to leave this career that pays the bills and keeps the roof over our head to go off on some pipe dream of creating a brand new career. I put myself back through school. I overlapped. It took uh, five years of school. I had to do all my post-bac, pre-med, pre-recs because I had an art degree um, and then started amassing many certifications and learning. And ultimately, I think it took doing, Dina. I started seeing clients and teaching classes, and the reflection I was getting was that I was doing something different than others were doing. And I wouldn't have known that, I don't think, if I was just dreaming it up in my head and not getting the feedback loop. And um, I am an artist. I think of myself as an artist and I need the audience feedback and I'm not scared of the audience feedback. One of the beauties of going through art school in my undergraduate years is you put your stuff on the wall and people talk about it. It's outside of you, but you're in this feedback loop. So for me, I think it took a process of believing that this was my passion, but not necessarily knowing I did something different until I was out there doing it. And then anchoring more and more and more on that as things grew and developed over time. That is such a powerful way. I mean, just the way that you described starting out in, you know, in an art degree and, and, and really like without me, perhaps unbeknownst to you, having such a foundation in recognizing that feedback does not need to be internalized. Like give, getting feedback about something does not mean that you are inherently wrong or a failure or whatever, that something's wrong with you. It's like, okay, objectively, they're saying something about the work. And I, I call that out because Andrea, I cannot tell you how many people I speak to who are afraid to even do the thing. I know. Because, but what if, what if, what will people say? What if it's a failure? And it's so, <laughs> so beautiful that that gave you such a foundation, it sounds like to me, to just continue to refine, refine, and refine. Because it, you also, another thing I notice as women typically will, tell ourselves that we have to get all of the certifications and have everything be perfect before totally. we can do. Yes. And to think about creating something or bringing something to the world as like a form of art, how beautiful is that? Like I truly believe what I'm doing is a form of art. Yeah. Not everyone sees it that way, but it, it's, it's the fullest, most truest form of expression that I've ever experienced. Yeah, I'm so glad you picked up on that because for me, having gone through being an artist in my childhood through art school, knowing that your expression 
something that comes from your heart and your soul is outside of you. When I started writing and joining writing groups, I was like, what's their deal? Why are they so precious about like every, nobody was wanted to share and they were embarrassed. And I was like, what is going on? Because I'd been trained my whole life yeah. that that is part of the process. And I see this in my students, right? Who some of are starting new careers or going into a new career or they're launching on top of careers or they're going from nursing to becoming a functional nutrition counselor and there's so much fear like you're talking about and so I developed a 5P model that helps them think into where they are like you need to have passion you need to give yourself permission you need to really understand your purpose because your purpose is going to what is going to be what allows you to step outside of your fears. Once you know the purpose, like my purpose related to Isamu's situation is bigger than me. I will move mountains because I don't matter. I'm just the vehicle for this. And then there's persistence and perseverance. The persistence is keep doing. You just got to keep doing, keep showing up. And the perseverance is you're going to fall down. You're going to trip. It's not going to land. You're going to do that thing but you get back up and you keep going. And for me, whatever I do, that feedback loop is so important. I think it's partly why like writing in a vacuum is less interesting to me than teaching. Because when I'm teaching, I can see the response. I'm in a dynamic relationship and I love writing. It's my medium, but I wanna see it in action with people. Yeah. Passion, purpose, permission. Permission before purpose. Like you gotta give yourself. You gotta give permission. yourself permission to step into purpose. Yeah. yeah. Passion, permission, purpose. What was after purpose? Persistence. Persistence, and then perseverance. And perseverance. I wrote down that notes. persistence is like you have to like consistency looks good on all of us right Amazing. so even though you didn't feel great for your workout today you still show yeah. up you're consistent you're persistent yeah. and that's true of how we embrace our influencers too if it's not something that you can persist with it might have been too big of a bite to take on at that time you know, it's, I, I share the example this morning from my workout, but I think about it in the context of what I'm building. And right before we hit record, exactly. I mean, I think about what you've built through the Functional Nutrition Alliance. And, you know, I always, I say this probably three times a week, just it comes up in conversation. The best advice that I've ever gotten in building a business has been two words. It's nothing profound, nothing crazy. Keep going. Yep. The persistence is completely aligned with the other four P's for me yes. and to, the perseverance yep. rather. But it, I think perseverance and persistence is for me so intimately aligned. Totally. But like the, those times that I told you before we hit record on today's episode that had I quit in right. those moments that it felt so hard like I so wouldn't hard. be here experiencing what I'm experiencing now. And there's so much more to come. So I think this is what, I mean, I love this. I'm, I'm, I'm giggling over here because the theme of disruptors, it's absolutely a, an opportunity to spotlight what you've been doing, but also about who you've had to be. 
yeah. inside of this because I think to be a disruptor and to feel like you can lean into that call to be the blueprint requires this disruption of your own pattern thinking. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you think has been the biggest sort of accomplishment for you in terms of your own disruption for mm. thoughts? You know, it's such an interesting question because I think there are many along the way. I think that we're constantly becoming and we realize in that becoming where we have to disrupt a thought pattern. So I think there was probably a time in my life where I thought I couldn't do who was going to listen to me. I'm like a middle aged widow. I don't look like a Barbie doll. Like, why does anyone want to learn about nutrition from me? And I had to disrupt that thinking and instead recognize what people were coming to me for. I had to listen outside and pick up on the clues there instead of letting my negative voice be louder than that. I will tell you, as I built a business and had a certain level of success and sold my business but was still, am still a part of it, that my voice that I need to disrupt is that I'm too much because I am very opinionated. I have very clear ideas. I can see the cracks and the gaps super clearly. I speak into them. It's not very feminine in the way we culturally think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be disruptive to a conversation because I am blowing up people's notion of hunky-dory, we're going along, everything's okay. Um, and it can be intimidating. And so I've had to learn how to disrupt my own thoughts of apology about being too much because being too much has gotten me in trouble once I had to be number two after not being number two. So that the patterns don't, I share that to say the patterns don't stop. It's a constant that we're saying, oh, what now? What's the story I'm telling myself now that I, I'm not going to stop, but I can disrupt the pattern of the story so that I encounter it less often And when I go into the trap of that pattern, I stay there for a shorter period of time. Beautiful. Does that make sense? It makes complete complete (laughs) sense. One rule I do have on the podcast is that we as women don't ask that question. Does that make sense? Because you landed that so perfectly. And I think it's so beautiful to really highlight that we're constantly becoming something else. Like in having, having compassion for ourselves inside of that space and recognizing the story that we're telling ourselves. Whereas perhaps, you know, years ago at the beginning, you had those questions of who would listen to me, who would want to know it's sort of like, am I good enough? And now the opposite side of that argument is, am I being too much, which brings into sharp focus, everything that's wrong with our culture, (laughs) that women are having one side, sometimes both sides of this same conversation. Am I good enough or am I too much? And do I need to shrink myself or contort myself in a different way so that I can be palpable to the world? Yes. Yes. And it's not 
sexy. I mean, the message I have isn't sexy. It's not sexy. It's a hard, I'm asking people to do hard work, right? So like I have, I know how I have to show up to get that message across and it works externally. How does it work elsewhere? And who am I? It's constant. And I think that that's true. And I, I wanted to make sure to say this in our in our work and the evolution of our work. I've had students say to me, you don't understand, I'm nervous to get on stage. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. There's always the next thing, right? Like, it's always like that. Get used to it. It never, some things get easier, but then there's other things that you have to encounter. So you're always at the edge if you are growing and stretching and there's never a place of, oh, this is all hunky-dory, it's comfortable, I've made it. I don't know anybody Me neither. who gets there in that way because there's always the next edge mm-hmm. for us of growth. I, I do want to highlight something that's really unique to the experience of a female founder that I'm picking up on. And I think about this a lot, Andrea, is when you have built something on your own and you have now recently gone through the experience of selling your business, yet still being involved, I think about this probably once a week, about what that looks like to sort of pull back, let go of the reins, let other people be involved. It's scary. Yeah. And also, maybe it's not scary. It won't be scary after a certain amount of time, but I'm just curious what your experience has been because so much of you is in this business, in this model, in this idea. And now to let it go, what does that mean? Yes. Well, it's my brain. Yes, so- exactly. Let's be clear. This is my intellectual property. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's been you know almost five years now so it's been a journey in and of itself there's certainly things I wish I had done differently I sold the business with a team of 20 some odd people so it's not like I wasn't working with a group already that was supporting the work but I was no longer in charge of the business and that came with a lot of discomfort and discord because I have not just opinions but a deep understanding of the work of the audience that the the business and the modality serves and so it is an exercise I am very fortunate that at this point I'm in a position where I can be in the director type role that can step back educate others and think of it as a legacy brand, which is a just a blessing. I feel so fortunate. I don't know, you know, that could change tomorrow. <laughs> it's not in my hands. Um, but that's the situation we've been able to establish at this point in time. But that is, I would say, uh, harder than raising my child and seeing him off to college because I trusted him to navigate his life. This is like a beast to trust with many moving parts and pieces. So I've had these analogous experiences almost simultaneously. Mm -hmm. My son leaving for college, selling my business and the differences 
in the emotions of that, but I will liken it to that step back of being, how do you want to be involved? What does that mean to you? How do you negotiate for that from the get-go and recognize selling your business is never easy. I think people think it's going to be like the, no, no. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of challenges and that's probably a whole other conversation, mm. but a uh, really interesting journey in and of itself. Amazing. Well, it sounds like you're on the precipice of yet another disruption. <laughs> I so, I mean, I literally could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I, I know that we, we have to find a, find a, a spot to, to wrap, but I, I'm just curious, what is happening for you now? What's next in this latest disruption? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I'm really turning my attention back to the patient, not as a clinician, but as an author, as a speaker, really helping us to think about that first tenant in functional medicine. So I said in functional medicine, that first tenant is a therapeutic partnership. I've done a lot of work and will continue to work to train the practitioner to be a partner, but I realize it's time for me to help patients understand how to be a better partner in their medical care. So my work is really focused on how do we have and take, take it, take better care so that we can show up for ourselves and not give our care away to the noise or to the providers who we think are going to be the God to give us all the answers. Because I can tell you it won't come. And there's a mindset shift, a reframe that's required for us to be in a different relationship in our healthcare. So that's where I'm headed and it's very exciting and also um, a new thing to navigate. So back at the beginning again. I love that. And it's really such a gift to be able to be at the beginning again, yeah. but also not totally at the beginning because you have so much more insight and awareness about who you are and that's going to lend itself to who you are now becoming into this new yes. phase so true for all of us so true beautiful. for all of us like we don't lose like yeah. i talk about the artist right. yes i became somebody who's known as a scientist right now you know but like don't lose the lineage the yeah. roots of yeah. who you are that got you here absolutely Andrea, how can folks stay connected with you and continue to watch this story that is developing? If you head on over to andrianakayama.com, that's where you can find your way to all the different things. Love it. And stay tuned for her incredible book that's going to hit soon. Um, and I have loved getting to know you before we recorded this podcast, but to learn even more of your story and to continue to be along for the ride. I just want to say thank Same. you. Yeah. Thank you, Dina. Thank you. Hey friend, thanks for listening. I'm so grateful that you took time out of your day to spend some of it with us here. If this show means anything to you, it would mean everything to me if you made sure to rate, review, and follow the show on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. 
Especially, be sure to leave a review and let me know what you thought. I live for feedback. Because even though it's only me and my guest at times speaking into the microphone, into wherever you may be listening, I want this to feel like a conversation. So I want to hear from you. Lastly, be sure to follow Enough Labs on all social media platforms. Because remember, beyond this being a conversation, we're building a movement.